0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you all for joining me for this discussion. We're going to talk today about psychedelic drugs. I'm going to try to bring you through a brief history of psychedelic drugs and then discuss what they are, what they may do to the mind and the brain and end with a reflection on what that might mean for consciousness and understanding ourselves but let's start at the beginning what are psychedelic drugs the word psychedelic uh, can be defined in lots of different ways one definition is of renoting a mental state characterized by a profound sense of intensified sensory perception sometimes accompanied by severe perceptual distortion and hallucinations and by extreme feelings of either euphoria or despair. That may be true for many people who experience the effects of psychedelic drugs, but it isn't quite in uh, keeping with the original intention of the person who first coined that word psychedelic. The word psychedelic was first coined by Humphrey Osmond who was uh, an English psychiatrist who was expatriated to Canada and who along with Abram Hoffer was one of the first people to give LSD to patients diagnosed with alcoholism and one of the first to uh, administer LSD within a clinical setting. Osmond had tried LSD himself and he also had shared LSD and other similar drugs such as mescaline, which comes from psychoactive cacti. and uh, he, he notably, uh, Osmond notably shared mescaline with Aldous Huxley, who's a famous novelist and philosopher who then went on to pen the doors of perception based on his experiences with psychedelic drugs. Uh, but all of this is is to say that Osmond really explored the effects of psychedelic drugs such as LSD to try to understand how they work, uh, what their impact was, and how they may be uh, therapeutic or whether or not they may be helpful for patients with various disorders. And uh, he, he coined this word psychedelic, which, which has interesting roots uh, in etymology. The root, it's based on the root psyche, meaning mind, or, and also delos, meaning manifest. He believed that LSD in particular, but also psychedelic drugs more broadly, manifested aspects of the mind that may or may not be accessible to people. And, and it was through this mind manifestation that the drugs had the therapeutic uh, value. Um, There there are a number of drugs that fall broadly under the umbrella term psychedelic, uh, but only a subset of those uh, really hold together as classic psychedelics. These are contained in a number of pharmacological classes, including tryptamines, phenethylamines, and ergolines. Under tryptamines, we find a number of drugs, including psilocybin and psilocin, which are found in many species of psychoactive mushroom. Also dimethyltryptamine, which is one of the active components of ayahuasca. Dimethyltryptamine can be found in many plant sources. In the phenethylamines, we have mescaline, which is found in in psychoactive cacti. We also have another a number of other drugs, including uh, the research chemical 2Cb. And under ergolines, we have the infamous lysergic acid diethylamide, or LSD. Uh, also, uh, some, some more naturally occurring ergolines, such as uh, lysergic acid amide, or LSA, which has many plant sources. All of these drugs are, unfortunately, uh, share the characteristic of being a Schedule One compound, um, which means they're heavily controlled drugs. But they also have share the property of being serotonin-2-A receptor agonists. And and throughout uh, you know many decades of research, we now believe that this serotonin two A receptor partial agonism uh, is is responsible for all of the things that we attribute to psychedelic drugs. From a brief historical perspective, there's anthropological evidence of uh, ceremonial consumption of hallucinogenic plants and fungal matter in the past few centuries. And there's also speculation that ceremonial use of similar psychoactive compounds may date back many thousand years. Some of this evidenced by artifacts or cave drawings. One cave drawing attributed to psychedelic use in, in spiritual or quasi-religious uh, ceremonial context is, is the mushroom man. This is a humanoid figure upon which is, is growing uh, from almost every surface what look like mushroom-like figures. Uh, mushrooms of the Psilocype genus uh, are found on all continents, and, and the ceremonial use of psilocybin-containing mushrooms by indigenous tribes in Mexico can be traced back at least to the 15th century. And at least nine indigenous groups in Mexico have been identified that still consume psychedelic uh, psilocybin mushrooms in a ceremonial context. So there does seem to be some evidence suggesting that uh, the use of psychedelic drugs in various contexts, mostly religious or uh, you know quasi spiritual or ritual contexts, that does have a historical uh, basis and is not just a, a, a recent affectation of, of, of human experience. Uh, but how did these drugs come to kind of modern Western uh, society? Well, mainly through two routes. Uh, one was through uh, the experience of Gordon Wasson, who who went to Mexico searching out the magic mushroom, uh, found a, a group of people using the mushrooms and, and found Maria Sabina, who's there was a famous mushroom shaman and, and she brought Gordon Wasson and his wife through a mushroom ceremony. He took many pictures and took notes and wrote stories about that and brought that back to the United States. And that was published as a as an article in Time magazine, uh, that uh, that whole uh, train of events was one way that psychedelics were brought to American consciousness. Another way was through the discovery of LSD by Albert Hoffman and Sandoz laboratories and then the subsequent dissemination of LSD throughout medical, uh, and also research labs, um, and government agencies throughout the United States and throughout the world. So these two routes were two of the main routes by which psychedelics were brought to the United States. And, and shortly after these really caught on many thousands of individuals went through research and therapeutic trials in, in the fifties and sixties. These trials mainly involved LSD, but also involved psilocybin, mescaline, and possibly other compounds. These compounds were studied uh, for a variety of reasons to try to understand and to treat mood disorders, psychosis, addiction, palliative care situations, and and to treat and understand pain. Unfortunately, the vast majority of these studies were conducted with what we would consider to be uh, unacceptable scientific rigor, inadequate control conditions. But all of this came to a screeching halt with the Controlled Substances Act of 1971. Since then, really beginning in the 90s and then beginning to take off in the 2000s, There's been a recent research of both basic and clinical human studies uh, on the effects of these drugs. So now we're beginning to build a modern uh, and, and contemporarily defensible base of empirical evidence to try to understand truly what these drugs may or may not do. So what do these drugs do, at least acutely, when you think about or hear the word hallucinogen or psychedelic the first thing that typically pops into people's minds is is all of these various visual effects such as geometric or kaleidoscopic or fractal shapes and patterns superimposed on the visual field or maybe um changes in the perception of depth or color colors being more vibrant or rich uh, edges being more salient um and even uh, you know illusory movements such as you know, in things seeming to move that aren't actually moving in the environment, like walls breathing, or carpets dancing, or faces melting, or we're seeing even visual trails, all of these are, are typically what come to people's mind first when they think of hallucinogens or psychedelics. But I'd argue these are among the least interesting of the acute effects of these drugs. Despite some claims that psychedelics may enhance cognition or enhance consciousness, uh, recent evidence uh, from our lab and others uh, has shown that if anything, psychedelics acutely Um, lead to a a mild to moderate but detectable impairment in certain cognitive processes, such as working and episodic memory, executive function, associative learning, and psychomotor performance. Psychedelics may seem in many cases to have maybe a more positive acute effect on emotions. Uh, Outside of the context of a challenging experience or a bad trip, It seems that on average, psychedelics may lead to uh, a slight increase in positive mood and a slight decrease in negative mood, as well as no change or an increase in your ability to detect positively valenced emotional information in the environment and and a slight reduction. Or impairment in your ability to sense or detect, or your sensitivity to negative emotional information in the environment. We've recently also demonstrated uh, that uh, a single high dose of psilocybin administered to healthy individuals can lead to uh, sustained changes in emotional function in these in these dimensions. So, so single high dose of psilocybin administered to healthy individuals was shown to lead to uh, a reduction in negative emotions for at least a week after psilocybin administration and and an increase in positive mood and positive affect for at least a month after psilocybin, as well as changes in, in brain function related to these emotional processes that persisted for at least a week after psilocybin administration. There also seems to be a really unique and peculiar interaction of psilocybin, not only with visual field phenomena, but also with with music. Uh, There are, uh, I believe, the vast majority of clinical trials that are being conducted today with psychedelic drugs are being conducted with some form of music as an adjunct to the therapeutic intervention. My colleagues and I have recently shown that psychedelics can increase the positive emotions that can be encountered uh, during music listening. Uh, we've also demonstrated that music listening can increase the communication of brain regions involved in memory and visualization, which uh, may or may not lead some kind of credence and some biological explanation to uh, some of the strong visual effects that people can experience specifically during music listening, but also auditory to visual synesthesia that has been re- reported by some during uh, psychedelic experiences. I also recently demonstrated that LSD can increase the degree to which the brain tracks the time varying tonal structure of music during music listening. So it's almost as if LSD is turning up the gain on the units in the brain that are really processing the abstract structure of music. And this may, may be one of the reasons why music seems so much more vibrant or so much easier to, to, to engage in deep listening of music, uh, when we're experiencing the effects of psychedelic drugs. Psychedelics have also recently been shown uh, to possibly be uh, therapeutic uh, for a number of indications. There's evidence showing that, uh, administration of, of psilocybin specifically can lead to sharp decreases in depression and anxiety in patients uh, who, are, who are suffering from uh, late stage uh, cancer. Um, we've shown that uh, psilocybin can, uh, administration can lead to a sharp reduction in clinician rated uh, depression severity in, in patients with major depressive disorder. Um, it can also help uh, in, in a pretty profound way to help people quit smoking in an open-label pilot study conducted by my colleagues, Matt Johnson and Al Garcia Romu, they showed after two to three administrations of the psilocybin, a number of people who had a, a really profound smoking habit uh, were able to quit smoking. And 10 weeks and then six months after that intervention, uh, over 80% of the individuals in that study uh, were abstinent cigarettes. Finally, a similarly impressive effect has been shown by our colleague Mike Bogenschutz at uh, NYU, who administered psilocybin within a course of treatment for alcohol use disorder and saw a precipitous drop in number of days drinking and number of heavy days drinking in those in these uh, individuals. So overall, we see that psychedelics may have powerful acute effects. Uh, They may also have the potential for powerful therapeutic effects and psilocybin therapy and psychedelic therapy more broadly may lead to an abrupt and profound restructuring of behavioral, cognitive, and emotional states. It can really potentially allow patients access to a broadened behavioral repertoire to help them recover from Seemingly wide variety of illnesses, but a natural question that arises, well, how might psychedelics do all these things? What might the mechanisms underlying these changes be? Well, there's one aspect of psychedelic experience that we haven't really discussed yet, and that's the aspect of peak experiences. Peak experiences have been described in a variety of different ways. Uh, one way to describe these experiences has been uh, using the term ego dissolution, or, you know, whatever you believe the ego is or consider the ego to be, that kind of goes away and isn't present anymore uh, for some period of time during psychedelic experiences. Another kind of conceptualization of this has been that of a mystical experience. And I'll be the first to admit that there is a failure in marketing here. The word mystical can mislead a lot of people. It can seem like something that is just, you know, can't be touched. It's like mist or, or maybe it's something that only, uh, uh, scarce few individuals can ever achieve, but really it has an operational definition, um, that, that, that began its formulation, uh, about uh, over a hundred years ago, um, in, in his, uh, in his book, uh, Varieties of Religious Experiences, William James published uh, and wrote uh, an entire chapter on mystical experiences, which he believed could possibly be experiences that are uh, trans-religious, transcultural, and, and and had a number of core features. Uh, uh, Stace picked up on this uh, idea, and uh, Stace was a, was a philosopher of religion. And in 1960, he published a book on mystical experiences that really tried to, to bring more kind of uh, solidification to this idea. He, he uh, read and and reviewed uh, as many religious and, and cultural and spiritual texts and non-spiritual texts that he could and, and tried to identify experiences that fit this definition of mystical experience. Um, he then tried to look for similarities between all of these experiences and, and identified number of dimensions of experience that seemed to hold these different, uh, experiences together, that being some form of feeling of unity of self and others, or or unity between the self and the world or the universe, really a breaking down of barriers between self and other. Um, These experiences seem to have a noetic quality. In other words, seem to be more real or more true than other experiences that people have in normal waking consciousness. They seem to have an element of sacredness or reverence. Um, They involved deeply felt positive mood. They had an, an aspect of ineffability or, or really the inability to, to truly, uh, be expressed and, and, and explained and described using words. And, and finally, this element of transcendence of time and space, such that time and space didn't seem to exist during these mystical experiences. We've created a questionnaire, uh, that tries to probe, uh, you know, self-report endorsement of having experienced any number of these dimensions. And when we score that, Uh, questionnaire, we find that the score on the mystical experience questionnaire seems to follow uh, a really uh, reliable dose-dependent fashion, such that with greater uh, dose of psilocybin specifically, we see greater scores on uh, this mystical experience questionnaire. Indeed, scores on this mystical experience questionnaire seem to correlate well with a number of other meaningful constructs, such as self-reported meaningfulness of the experience, as well as the self-reported spiritual significance of the experience, such that uh, lower values of mystical experience questionnaire scores are correlated with people saying that the experience they had was similar to experiences that occur once every five years or once a year or once a month or even once a week, whereas very high scores on the mystical experience questionnaire are correlated with responses such as, you know, this may have been among the top five or the single most meaningful experience of my life that I encountered under the acute effects of this drug, and and similar for ratings of spiritual significance of the experiences. So higher mystical experience questionnaire scores correlated with ratings of the experience being among the top five or the single most spiritually significant experience of a person's life. We've also found that mystical experience scores correlate well, uh, reasonably well, with Reductions in depression and reductions in anxiety that are encountered after their psychedelic experiences. And uh, my colleagues have found that greater mystical experience scores were correlated with reduction in craving, an increase in confidence to abstain, and a decrease in the temptation to smoke when trying to treat smokers with psychedelics, specifically psilocybin. So, this psychological experience, this construct of mystical experience, and more broadly the subjective experiences that people may encounter during psychedelic experiences, may themselves be related to these therapeutic outcomes that we're beginning to uh, beginning to uh, observe and, and understand uh, in relation to psychedelic uh, therapy uh, but there are other potential mechanisms and explanations. Of, of what psychedelics may be doing that can have a therapeutic um, output or a therapeutic value. Um, these are preliminary data from uh, a study that we recently published in patients with major depressive disorder. These uh, patients saw a, a remarkable and, and a somewhat durable reduction in depression severity after treatment with psilocybin. And within these patients, we also saw a reduction in perseverative errors on a cognitive flexibility test that's similar to the Wisconsin card sort test. So, uh, in this test, basically we're, we're asking, uh, people to, to learn a, a set of rules and then those rules change and then they have to relearn the new rule and then the rules change again. And, and the degree to which people perseverate on previous rules is basically understood as a measure of, uh, cognitive inflexibility. So after psilocybin therapy, individuals in this study Saw an improvement in cognitive flexibility. In a separate survey study, we found that while psychedelic drugs may uh, involve and, and may evoke mystical experiences as well as psychological insights, it was actually increases in psychological flexibility that resulted from these psychedelic experiences that mediated the effects of mystical experience on decreases in depression and anxiety. So from a neurocognitive perspective, it may be this cognitive flexibility or psychological flexibility that is underlying the therapeutic changes that we see with psychedelic drugs. And finally, we can talk about some of the biology underlying psychedelic drugs. There are maybe three models of psychedelic drug effects in the brain that are emerging, and that may go some distance to explaining how psychedelic drugs work, both acutely and in terms of a therapeutic effect. Uh, one of uh, the the models that's that's developing is is really focused on the action of uh, and and the importance of the default mode network. So this default mode network is a network of brain regions that are variously involved in. Uh, self-referential processing, self-related thoughts and cognitions, um, one of the brain regions, the posterior cingulate, it can often be found, uh, to, to be active when people are asking questions such as, does this adjective describe me or is this face mine or not? Um, and, and the medial prefrontal cortex, which is another node within the default mode network, is, is a brain region that's often found to be involved in autobiographical memory, self related emotions, emotional learning, and also theory of mind, my theory of your mind, thinking about how someone else thinks or thinking about how you think um, some of these metacognitive processes. Um, And these are brain regions that have been variably shown to be turned off uh, during the effects of psychedelic drugs. And in in particular, um, our colleagues in London uh, have have shown uh, a number of times that activity and connectivity within brain regions within the default mode network is actually correlated with ego dissolution, such that the greater the ego dissolution, the more these things are turned down. And the idea here, uh, roughly speaking, is that uh, there may be kind of disorganization or, or uh, some kind of interruption of brain regions that are involved in self-referential processing that accompany these ego dissolutive experiences. If you can If you can uh, expand your understanding of ego dissolution and mystical experiences to encompass spiritual experiences, Uh, there have also been uh, studies demonstrating a correlation between increase of the spiritual experience or mystical experience and decrease in synchrony of brain regions uh, involved in the default mode network. There's another model altogether that involves uh, the regulation of sensory information through the thalamus that has been proposed to underlie some of the effects of psychedelic drugs and some evidence has been shown that, in fact, this may be the case. So Katrin Preller, over the past couple of years, has, has shown some really nice evidence that the connectivity of the thalamus to other brain regions changes with LSD, and specifically thalamic connectivity to sensory motor regions and primary sensory sensory regions increases, whereas uh, thalamic connectivity to transmodal regions may decrease. What this is suggesting is that psychedelics may disrupt the action of the thalamus in in kind of filtering sensory information that is going to higher cognitive areas. And and this disruption uh, may lead to a flooding of the cortex uh, of sensory information that then leads to all of the effects that we uh, believe we understand uh, during the acute effects of psychedelic drugs. Um, Finally, one, one more theory that is beginning to evolve is, is a theory related to a brain structure called the claustrum. The claustrum is a really thin strip of gray matter tucked neatly between the internal capsule and the putamen within the brain. Um, it, it's a unique region insofar as it has reciprocal connections to nearly all areas of the cortex because of this really dense interconnectivity of the claustrum with everything else. Some have hypothesized that. This brain structure may play a key role in sustaining consciousness, such that Francis Crick, in his final scientific work, co authored a paper with Christoph Koch in which they hypothesized that the claustrum was actually the seat of consciousness or that it orchestrated consciousness. If we were to think of a brain region that could stitch together multi sensory information as well as higher cognitive. Uh, processes and a seamless percept that would then become the awareness that we all can experience. So this would be the ideal structure to do that. It's perfectly positioned to do that. More recent studies have have shown that this may not be the case, at least not in the way that Crick and Koch originally conceived. Uh, But this is still a very interesting structure to us specifically because it is one of the brain regions that has the highest expression of serotonin-2A receptors. And these, again, are the target receptors of classic psychedelic drugs. It also has a dense expression of kappa opioid receptors, which are the targets of uh, a couple of atypical hallucinogen drugs, such as salvinorin A. And and it may be deeply involved in, in response uh, and, and especially changes in the prefrontal cortex that accompany uh, administration of psychedelic drugs. Um, recently, we developed some methods to try to, to measure the activity and the connectivity of this brain region in humans. And then we uh, extended that to measurements of brain function that were collected under the acute effects of psilocybin. And we demonstrated that psilocybin reduced claustrum connectivity to the frontoparietal task control network, which is involved in management of attention and and direction of of, of attentional and behavioral resources. We saw that claustrum connectivity to the auditory cortex and default mode network were also reduced. And in particular, we observed that the default mode network integrity was actually associated with right claustrum connectivity to the default mode network and frontoparietal task control network integrity was associated with right claustrum connectivity to this network this is all to suggest that the claustrum may be involved in in holding together these networks and connectivity of the claustrum to these networks is being Uh, decreased by psilocybin. It it may be that the claustrum is now well positioned uh, to be orchestrating many of the changes that have been observed by others uh, in terms of sensory changes, changes in cognitive control, and changes in default mode network activity. Um, These are all three uh, models that that still have a long way to go in terms of uh, understanding the relationship to psychedelic effects and their position within psychedelic effects in the brain specifically and potential therapeutic effects Uh, but they all seem to be compelling uh, models that may explain some aspect of of psychedelic experience the final discussion point in terms of uh, the effects of psychedelic drugs on the brain specifically comes from our colleagues at uc davis particularly david olson's lab where he's demonstrated that the administration of a wide range of psychedelic drugs can essentially Uh, change uh, neuroplasticity within the brain. Uh, He's shown uh, an increase in synapse density, an increase in neurite density and neurite growth, and also potential for recovering from the effects of social defeat stress on, on different brain structures. Essentially, he's suggesting that Psychedelics may be psychoplastogens that increase neurotic growth, spine density, and evoke synaptogenesis within the brain. And these brain changes may be the basis of the therapeutic effects that we see long-term after psychedelic experiences. One final reflection here. I've tried to give a really brief and high-level overview of what we know about psychedelics from modern empirical studies. A lot of claims have been made about psychedelics and consciousness uh, such that um, there are almost promises now out there that, that psychedelics are going to teach us something new or profound about consciousness or about the mind and the brain. But I think that it's it's clear that people may mean very different things when they use the word consciousness. Certainly some people, when they use the word consciousness, they're asking the question of whether someone's awake or asleep or are they in a coma or are they brain dead. Uh, these are different levels of consciousness that are certainly medically relevant, but, but I, but I, I don't think everybody means that consciousness when they're talking about consciousness. I think people are far more aspirational and, 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 and are talking about a far more philosophical concept of consciousness um, at, at the completely other end of the spectrum from that medical consciousness. We have the felt sense of awareness, the qualia of being. Um, and, and here we, butt really, uh, straight up against the hard problem of consciousness, which is how can subjective experience arise from matter? How can that awareness be? Where is that awareness and what is it like? And what is it made of? And all of these things, Um, backing off of that hard problem of consciousness, we have some more easy problems of consciousness that involve questions such as what are the contents of consciousness and how does the brain represent these contents of consciousness and what is accessible to conscious awareness? and and how does uh, conscious or unconscious awareness affect attention memory emotion and decision making these questions are squarely within the realm and 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 within the range of modern psychology neuroscience and other such disciplines i would argue that psychedelics may help us to deepen our understanding of aspects of consciousness within the scope of the easy problem but i don't i don't believe there's any reason to think that there's anything about psychedelics that will bring us any closer to understanding or cracking the hard problem of consciousness, uh, at least no closer than any other tools we have at our disposal. Um, and I hope to engage in much more conversation about that and and, and truly learn a lot more uh, about whatever we can uh, in the future using uh, psychedelic drugs as scientific tools. Thank you for your time and attention.